without further ado, I'd like to invite Pastor Joy up. Welcome back. what's happening in Bay City. God has never designed this church to settle, has he? Wow, are you on a cutting edge? I can feel the change. Good to see the prayer meeting filled. Good to see the spirit and the um, activation that's been happening in the church as tremendous ministries are coming through. Oh, it's exciting. This church is never meant to be an ordinary church. There's such a calling on this place, such a destiny. And... uh, I'm going to share on that today. I thought what Pastor Dave shared last week was really, really spot on. Very, very practical. But you've got a teacher in the house today, and she wants to open the word a bit to you on the same topic. Amen. So we're going to start off praying the word of God. I'd like you to pray with me the Ephesians prayer and and Ephesians chapter 1. It's a great prayer. It's good to pray the word of God, especially this prayer, because I heard Tamarit praying some of it when he was here. So let's pray it, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give unto us the spirit of wisdom. Spirit of wisdom, come. Come on, these students, come on us. Let us know things that we need to know. Let us know what to do with the stuff we know. Spirit of wisdom, come. And also a spirit of revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. We want the spirit of revelation. It's not head knowledge. Our spirit's got to catch some stuff. Our spirit's got to catch some stuff today. We want the spirit of revelation to help us see things and know them in our spirit. So come, spirit of revelation, today. Let the eyes of our understanding be enlightened. Lighten the eyes of our spirit. We want to see things in the spirit. We want to know what the spirit's doing. We want to see it and work with it. We want to know the hope of our calling. There's a tremendous call on our lives. We've got to know what it is. I'm going to help you know that today because we want to know the hope of our calling and the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints. There's an inheritance for us. We want to know what that inheritance is. And David's been calling about a shifting of power. We want to know about the exceeding greatness of God's power towards us who believe. It's going to extend great power over us. If we believe, that's the only qualification, being a believer. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. When Jesus raised from the dead, tremendous power was released. The powers of darkness were overthrown. Rocks cracked. Everything happened. And Jesus was triumphantly raised from the dead and and, uh, triumphed over all the powers of darkness. And then ascended to heaven, above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only um, in, in this age, but in the age to come. He's above everything, everything, and he's put all things under his feet, given him to be the head over all things to the church. Wow, we're the church, and which is his body. And he's the head, and we're the body. So all things are under our feet. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you for this prayer that we can pray. And today I want to talk about um, my topic is don't settle. There's more. Don't settle. There's got to be more. I was so encouraged when Terry started speaking that out in the prayer meeting. He just felt that spirit. I thought, hey, that's my message. Don't settle. Don't settle. There's more. Amen. And um, um, now, for a start, I've got to say that salvation is by grace. Fortunately, anybody that believes on the name of the Lord and acknowledges what Jesus did on Calvary can be born again and part of the family of God and have eternal life. Amen. Got to settle that because I'm going to talk about the more. (laughs) And when we talk about the more, it's kingdom talk. And it's always talking about authority and it's always talking about a king. And it's always talking about um, growth and maturity and enlargement. And that's what I'm on about today. But salvation, fortunately, is free. But there's more. But there's more. Hey. And I just want to first of all refer to two Old Testament scriptures. The Old Testament has tremendous pictures of what's fulfilled in the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, in the Jewish calendar, they celebrated three feasts. And every time, three times a year, they all had to get together and have a great celebration of feasts. Now, I don't know if you know, the first feast was called the Feast of Passover. And it was established when they all came out of Egypt and, um, and, they, and they sacrificed a Passover lamb and they were brought out of Egypt and um, that speaks of salvation. And you know what? They were celebrating Passover at the exact time Jesus was dying on the cross. It was the fulfillment of Passover, a literal fulfillment. They're actually in the temple celebrating it when it was actually being fulfilled. He was the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And, and the temple curtain just ripped from top to bottom. The way to the holiness was open. Tremendous fulfillment of that feast that they used to celebrate. Then 50 days later, they celebrated another feast. It was called the Feast of Pentecost, or sometimes the Feast of Weeks. It was 50 days after the first feast. You know what? Exactly 50 days after Jesus died on the cross, there was a pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Wow! It was an exact fulfillment of that feast. It actually happened. It should have happened on a lot more people. It should have happened on four or 500 people. But only 120 still waited for it, believing it was going to happen. And then the tongues of fire came on their heads, and these people were filled with the Holy Ghost. And oh, what a marvelous experience they entered into. It was an actual fulfillment of that feast. But you know that at the end of the agricultural year, on the seventh month in their calendar, there was another feast celebrated. And this one has not yet been fulfilled. So it's exciting because it's going to happen. The other two have happened, and this one's on its way. The Feast of Tabernacles. Yeah, the Feast of Tabernacles will happen. It happened at the end of their agricultural year. And what they did, there's several parts to some of these feasts. And I believe this feast is really quite imminent. It started off with blowing the trumpets. Big blast of the trumpets. You know what that speaks of? It speaks of a prophetic voice calling people to listen because something's going to happen. Who believes there's a prophetic voice being blasted all over the world? People are hearing the sound. Get ready, get ready. He's coming back. There's another feast going to be fulfilled and you better get ready. Amen. And then after that, they had a day of atonement where they dealt with all their sin issues 
got their lives right with God. Is that starting to happen to you? Amen. It's part of that feast. And then you know what they did? For seven days, they built a little booth, and they lived in this booth. That's why it's sometimes like a little tent, and it's made with um, plants type stuff. Because it was the end of the agriculture year, and often they lived out in the fields in these little man-made booths and um, did all the harvesting of crops because it's the time of harvest. Yeah, the big harvest at the end of the age. And they lived in booths for seven days. And it's also to remind them of all the time they're going through the wilderness, living in a temporary dwelling, that God was with them. God was with them. God tabernacled amongst man. And he, went, he tabernacled amongst them in the big tabernacle they built in the wilderness. And of course, Jesus came and tabernacled amongst us when he was on earth. And now he's in us. But there's more. <laughs> Amen. Now, the interesting thing, you remember in the New Testament, they talked about Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He took his, um, Peter, James, and John, he went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he changed, and his glory was all seen all over him. Yeah, his glory, and Peter and James and John said, they're saying, I wonder what we should do. And a voice from heaven came and said, this is my son, listen to him. He's talking to you. But these people know what they thought they'd do. Let's make some booths. One for each of you, because they know who was with them. Not only was the glorified Lord there, but Moses and Elijah were there talking to him. Now these weren't just ordinary people. Moses was a tremendous man of God that, had, mind you, he had 40 years in the wilderness being prepared for the mighty work that he did. 40 years in obscurity. But when the Lord brought him out of his obscurity, he overthrew the whole spirit forces of Egypt, took authority over each of the demonic forces ruling over that land and took a whole nation of people out of Egypt. I mean, this is a tremendous man of God. And of course, Elijah, well, right now, David and Kate have been on the Mount of Carmel where he called down fire on all the worshippers of Baal and he confronted the spirit forces like, wow. But these people were with Jesus now, even though they're long dead, and with him and his glory on the Mount. This little picture that Tabernacles is going to be amazing. They must have connected it with tabernacles. Let's build a little booth for them all. It's kind of like somehow they knew that it was Jesus was going to manifest himself in his glory and people were going to be with him that had triumphed and overcome in their field. That's an exciting picture. That's, that's just an Old Testament picture. That There's more. <laughs> there's more. Another thing I think that's interesting, but all these people came out of Egypt. They came out of Egypt and Jesus said he had a, God said he had a promised land to bring them into. But they're going to have to overcome some giants. But that land was for them. They were going to trample over the giants. They were going to take over that land. And that was their land. It was for them. But all the time in the wilderness, all sorts of attitudes flushed up. You know, the, the waters of Mara dealt with all their bitterness, and all their moaning and their complaining. And over and over and over, they said, oh, it was better back in Egypt. They've got all the slavery and the beatings and the way they were treated. But they kept harking back after Egypt and and you know what? That promised lamb, and it came to the end of it, Joshua and Caleb, the only ones that had faith that say, we can do it. There's a lot of people missed out on what they could have had. They tasted the first fruits. They came back with a huge, big bunch of grapes. Try this. Pretty good, isn't it? That's just the first fruits. You've got more in there if you're going to go in. But some of them didn't go in. They missed out. And I was reading this verse this week. I thought, 
Oh, I like this verse. It said, um, um, Isaiah, uh, Psalm 106, verse 3. I thought, um, it, it talked about all these people and what happened to them and, and why. It said in Psalm 106, verse 3. Yeah, verse 13, I mean. These are the people, that even though the Lord did all these things, took them through the wilderness, saved them from the hand of those that hated them, redeemed them from the hand of the enemy, but they soon forgot his works. They didn't wait for his counsel. You know, it's easy to do this. You can forget all the things that the Lord's done in your life. And you can forget the things he's talked to you about to do. And they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness. They wanted other stuff that their flesh wanted. They keep wanting all that other stuff that they didn't need anymore. And they tested God. You know what happened? He gave them what they asked for, but he said, leanness into their soul. I thought, wouldn't it be awful to have a lean soul? I mean, your soul is made up of your intellect, so your thoughts will be pretty impoverished thoughts, probably all about you and everything wrong with you, and everything wrong with the world, and mo, 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 mo. Then your emotions, well, they'd be always flat and depressed, and you'd be down, and hopeless sort of person to be around, really. And your will, well, probably all you think about is going to McDonald's for lunch, because, you know, the service is going on a bit long, and you're already feeling hungry. And, you know, this is a lean soul. Oh, I hate the thought of having a lean soul. I like the thought in um, going back in Psalm 92. This is what I'm claiming. This is what I'm believing for. This is what I'm living in now. Psalm 92 and verse 14. But, um, verse 12, I mean. But the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Flourish like a palm tree and uh, grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord. So you've got to be established in the church. You've got to be planted. You can't be a floater. You can't be coming along and just saying, what's on the menu today? I don't like it. I'm going out of here. Somewhere else must better. If you're planted in the house of the Lord, you're going to flourish. Flourish in the courts of our God. Still bear fruit in old age. Fresh and flourishing. This is what God has for us in our old age, to be fresh and flourishing and still bearing fruit. That's what it should be like. That's what God purposes for us. If we're going to um, walk with God and, and stay connected with God, that should be some of the signs of it. Because, going right back into Genesis, you know, God made man, and what God made man for was to have dominion. Let's just read Genesis 1, 27. Man wasn't made just to kind of sit around and do nothing. Genesis 1 27. I love this. Going right back to God's intention. God created man in his image. You are made in the image of God. Made to do God kind of stuff. And, in, and um, he made male and female. And if I keep referring to males or sons, it's, it's unisex. It doesn't, it's not gender related at all. Sometimes we use the word sons, but you're included, everybody. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply. I want this place 10 times bigger than it is now. You've got to multiply, be fruitful, and uh, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over. Not only just the earth, but over nature, over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, everything that moves, we're to have dominion and authority over. That's what God created man to be like. 
to rule and have dominion and enlarge and subdue. That was God's intention. Unfortunately, Satan, who was cast out of heaven because he was unsubmissive and full of pride and wanted to be like God, he came and tempted Eve, and they lost what God had intended for men to have. They lost that dominion and authority. They were clothed in such glory. Can you imagine, Adam? Made in the image of God, name all these animals. No problem. I'll give a name for all of them, reflecting their character and nature. I mean, you've got to be a pretty bright guy to be able to name all the animals and know what sort of person they were or animal they were, because the names reflect their nature. I mean, that's no mean task. He was an incredible creature, Adam, before the fall. But after the fall, of course, he lost that tremendous glory and manner that he was intended to carry. God never intended man to stay in that fallen state. So he had a plan to reinstate man into his place of authority and stature that he intended man to have at the beginning. And all through the Old Testament, there's pictures of having to sacrifice animals and go through natural things, pointing to Calvary, when the Lamb of God came and when Jesus sent his own son, an obedient son, to come in a human body to represent man as the only way that man could be reinstated. It had to be a son of God in a human body, obedient to the will of the Father. And Jesus did all that so that man can now be reinstated to what we're intended to be. Give us that glory back, give us that authority back. You know, that's, that's what the whole work of Calvary is all about. And um, so it's credible that we're made to have dominion and, um, and, and multiply. Um, so let's go back. So what about the New Testament? There's a little pictures in the New Testament I want to show you. Because when God sent Jesus, Jesus was like a pattern son. Everything in the life of Jesus was actually a sign. He said, I'm going to send you as a sign. And a sign points to something. It was more than just Jesus. It was pointing to what was going to follow. He hung on the cross. He said, for the joy that was set before him, he he endured the cross. What was he seeing? He was seeing a multitude of people in his image doing his kind of stuff. That's what he was seeing. That's why he endured the cross, because he saw ahead what God had in head for man restored. He said, if a seed doesn't go in the ground and die then you won't get a whole multiplication of that seed. But he was the seed that went into the ground to die. And what he intends now is a whole company of people like he was. Isn't that amazing? So look at, look at a few things in the life of Jesus as a pattern son. Um, of course, it refers to Jesus as the first of many brothers. He said that we'll be like him. Uh, first of all, he had a supernatural birth. Mary was overshadowed by the Spirit of God. And, and, and the life was conceived in her womb. It was a supernatural birth. You know, man cannot bring forth a Christian. It says in the Bible, you're not born again by the will of man. You can't have any priest or holy man suddenly make a Christian out of you. And some people have been taught that. If you do all these rules and regulations, if you do this and you do that, and the holy man does this to you, you'll, you'll be okay. You can't be born of the will of man. It's a supernatural work of the Spirit. You have to be born of the Spirit. It's a supernatural event. 
And this is the beginning. When in your spirit, you'll hear a message. You probably hear, I heard as a teenager, the call, come follow me. I had two things. One was a call, come follow me. And a, and a scripture, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. He gave himself for me. Now, I got saved on those scriptures. I, the word entered my heart, and I rose up and followed. Maybe there's someone here today that's never made that response. We had a lovely lady in our church who had the revelation one day that she'd never actually been born again. She'd been a very religious lady for many, many years. And it dawned on her, I've never actually been born again. And that can happen in church. You've never actually felt the Holy Spirit tug you and say, it's time. Time for you to make that first step. Open your heart and receive Jesus. Acknowledge what he did on the cross for you. And receive and become a child of God. That's the beginning. And it's supernatural. So Jesus had a supernatural birth. And then on the eighth day, they took him to the temple and they had a circumcision and a naming ceremony. I believe for us, that's all part of our baptism. Um, we look at Galatians, uh, Colossians 2. And circumcision is a cutting away of the flesh. But it says for us that for us, baptisms is, um, is our kind of equivalent. Like in Colossians um, 2, verse 10, 11, 12, it says, And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And you're buried with him in baptism in which you are raised through him. So when we go down the waters of baptism, we die to the flesh. We die to the old man. And that's our kind of circumcision nowadays. So Jesus had, at the beginning of his life, he had a supernatural birth. And um, for us, we have, well, basically, which can all happen on the same day in some situations. You can be born again, you can be water baptized, and you can receive the Holy Ghost. That's the first, the first measure of the Holy Ghost. The, 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 Holy, the Holy Spirit can come on you. That's what Jesus had at the time of his beginning of his life. He also went into Egypt to fulfill the prophecies, and he came out of Egypt, which again speaks of us coming out of Egypt or the bondage of, of the world and everything that's in the world. But the next significant time in the life of Jesus was at the age of 12. Now, it's interesting in you looking at the culture of that time, what they did at that time, especially the, um, the Greek-Roman culture, they had a ceremony, and it could have been 12, it could have been 14, and it's called the robe of a man ceremony. The robe of a man ceremony. And what they used to do, they used to take the garment of a child off the young man, and then they'd start wearing the toga of an adult. So it was actually a ceremony they went through where they declared that this man now is ready to um, enter into uh, training and getting prepared for a life as an adult. And the Jewish calendar now, they often have a bar mitzvah ceremony at 13. And they, that's a great ceremony. We did this with one of our grandchildren. The time when you take the young child and think, now it's time you start to take responsibility for your life. You know, if the dishes are needing doing, you don't have to be told to do them. If the kids need looking after, you just look after them because you're starting to get mature. You're starting to get bit more grown up. You don't have to be treated like a child all the time. So what they did is they had a, a, a ceremony at this point and they take their child 
and their culture, and they put their child under a tutor and a governor to learn the father's ways. Um, it's in, in the Greek, in the, in the Hebrew culture, a son is a builder of the house, and generally they were trained in their father's business and learned their father's ways. So this is the age for Jesus when officially he would be um, placed under governors and tutors to teach him his father's ways. Now he in himself sensed that his father God was had a call on his life and he was sitting around with all the um, rabbis and they were amazed at his questions and what he had to say already. He had a tremendous wisdom of the things of God. But his mum came along and said, we've been looking for you for days. What are you doing here? Come with us, you know. And part of kingdom culture is submission to those over you. Even if you think you've got it right, is submission and humility a part of kingdom culture? And Jesus, humbly and submissively, followed his mother, who was his authority figure at that time, and went home, and he would have been taught and trained in his father's business, which was as a carpenter. But generally, they used a, a tutor or a governor or someone who knew the business, and they would be trained and taught. And from then on, if he was delivering the goods or doing messages, they knew that he was preparing as an apprentice for the job. And it was his time of apprenticeship. And it's a hidden time. The next time, you don't see or hear much about him. But you did hear that he grew in stature. Now, that's not only physical stature. He grew on the inside. He grew in the God stature. He grew in character. He grew in his, his spirit life began to grow. He, he grew as a person. And he became in favor with God and man. And he not only had to learn how to do the job, but he had to have character training. How to treat the people. You know, how to, how to interact with people. It's all part of God's character training. So from 12, basically, he was under a season of training. And we don't really hear much more of him until the time of the father's appointment in that culture when the father decided it was ready it could be 30 it could be 31 it could be but when the father was ready he had another ceremony and he had a ceremony and the child that had been training and learning his father's ropes when he was felt this child's ready now they had another ceremony where the son was brought up and publicly declared before everybody he's now fully developed as a carpenter or running my business. He can sign my checkbook. He's got all my full backing. Whatever he does is as good as me doing it. You know what that was called? It was called a day of adoption. So we often think adoption is to do with taking a child into your family that's kind of been born somewhere else. But if you look up adoption, if you're a good scholar, go into your strong concordance and look up adoption, it's a word, huio thesis. Huius means fully mature son, fully mature man. And a thesis is the placing of a fully mature son. That's what the day of adoption is. It's the actual placing of a fully mature son. Now, when Jesus, what he, when, on Jesus' point of view, he had to walk halfway across Israel because he felt the Spirit of God felt God's timing was to come to this place, and he came to this Jordan, and there was John the Baptist. Now, he was the Holy Ghost minister of the day. He'd been proclaiming and declaring that there's going to someone that was going to come follow him. Jesus submitted himself to this current minister 
I should be baptizing you, not this way around. He's got to fulfill what the right process is. And he went right down into Jordan, which speaks of a death to himself, and he rose up. Now, what happened when he rose up? This is his day of adoption. A voice from heaven declared, this is my son. I am pleased with him. Wow. He was declared a fully um, mature now son who can now launch off and do the things that he was being prepared to do for all that time in the hiding. Isn't that interesting? And other things happened also, apart from coming up out of the water, he was praying. The heavens are open to him. Wow. What does that look like for us? (laughs) What does that look like for him? It's actually like a picture they had in the Old Testament of Jacob's ladder. You know, and and they call the place Bethel. He says it's like a ladder going up to heaven and angels ascending and descending upon it. It's like that for Jesus from then on. He had an open heaven, kind of like his head was in heaven and his feet were on earth, but he was walking in a dimension of an open heaven. Amen. And what else happened? It's the first time in his life he saw a physical manifestation of the Godhead. He was just a child growing up like any other child. And now the Holy Ghost comes down like a dove and lands on him. A tangible, actual Holy Spirit landed on him. What an amazing thing. It all happened at the time of his day of adoption. He was declared to be a fully mature son and he was had an open heaven and he had, had the anointing of the Holy Spirit come upon his life. And, but he was fully man, fully human, but now empowered by the Holy Ghost. God says in Acts 10, 38, we are like that. Whatever we do, he, and anointed by the Holy Spirit, we go about doing good and all the works that God sends us to do, but it's with the anointing and empowering of the Holy Spirit on a human. Now, the next thing after that, he was driven into the wilderness and he had spiritual battle with the forces of darkness. 40 days of prayer and fasting and all the temptations come. I mean, he was now the man of the hour. And people now who think they're the man of the hour might have all sorts of things to do. But some of the temptations was, you know, make these stones bread. You know, the anointing is not to feed you. It's not actually all about you. And some people can go that way. They think all the stuff that God's put on my life is to give me bread. And then he said, it's not even to make you look like some big great one. You know, some people carry on like that, some big great one. It's not actually about that. It's not that that you're going to look look grandiose because you can do all these mighty things. You know, in this move of God, God only is going to get the glory. There's no human is going to take that glory. We're all going to give him the glory in this move of God. It's all about him. And also, you're not even going to build yourself a kingdom. You have a temptation, but you can build yourself a kingdom. It's not about that. This empowering of the Holy Spirit and that combating against the forces of darkness was part of his, now his full launching as a mature son of God. And what did he do? I mean, we've got a measure of that now. We can do a measure of, of, of what, um, what Jesus stepped into because of the Holy Spirit coming out on the day of Pentecost. But I mean, Jesus, he walked on water. And he, he, he knew it was in the heart of me. He said, this guy, yeah, I saw you when you're sitting under the tree. I mean, it's a bit of the tamarack type stuff. You know, he knew everything. He could tell them what they're up to. He saw Simon the sorcerer, he saw right into his heart. You know, yeah, I know what's in your heart. You, 
you've got bitterness and, and iniquity in your heart. Even though he looked like he was some great one, Jesus saw right into his heart. But every day he listened to the Father. Every day he sat and had time with his Father. Okay, today I want you to go across the lake because there's going to be a demoniac over there and there's a whole region there I'm going to evangelize and it's time to go across the lake. Okay, got the message there and off he went. Halfway through the journey, there's a huge storm and everything's going crazy. He had the assignment. He wasn't worried. He was asleep. In fact, they wake him up and say, why did you wake us up? Don't you believe it's a storm? You know, he spoke like, like, he'd, like he'd speak to a naughty puppy. Just sit down. It's the sort of tone. Get down. Get down, you naughty puppy. <laughs> And immediately on the other side of the lake, demoniac comes across, and there's a huge move of the Spirit and deliverance of that demoniac, and he moved in that dimension. Ah, everywhere he went, the spirits knew him. People didn't know him. The spirits knew him. The first sermon, he's preaching nicely in a church like this, and someone with unclean spirits yelling out. <laughs> Jesus flushed all the stuff to the surface. Everywhere he went, spirits would all know him. But he... He lived this way with them, um, with hearing the voice of God every day, and then with tremendous. I mean, you got to pay your taxes. Okay, you go fishing. There's some gold in that fish's mouth for your tax and my tax. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> if I already have a fish, just go and fish up your tax bill. That'd be great, boy. I think we need to go fishing. <laughs> and uh, and even those guys you've been listening to him preach for a long time, they used his boats. Now go out there now and put your, put your nets on the other side. You're going to get a huge shawl of fish. He had authority over the fish of the sea. He had dimensions of authority that we haven't stepped into. But that's what he stepped into after his day of adoption. What a dimension of, whoo, Holy Ghost, authority that he walked in. And um, that's, that's a beautiful picture because he was a pattern son. Okay, now let's look at some of our own in uh, our own journey then, what God's got in store for us. Uh, as I said, we have a supernatural birth, water baptized, Holy Spirit baptized. And the season now, after if Jesus was the pattern, is that we're under tutors and governors to be trained to become a mature son. Okay, that's a good verse. There's even a verse in the Bible that says we're under tutors and governors. I'll give it to you. Um, Ephesians, I oh know, um, I can't find it, don't I? But um, what he did say, who, who is going to equip us and train us? What has God put in the church to equip the saints? Fivefold ministry. He has systematically over the last 50 years or so re brought back all the fivefold ministry. Started off with the evangelists and Billy Graham campaigns and huge evangelistic campaigns. There's a reinstatement of the evangelism ministry. We had the season of all the home groups and all the pastoral ministry being released. We had all the teaching catechisms in almost every church as the teachers were reestablished. Then we had prophetic conferences everywhere as the prophets were established. And now we've got the apostles being released. Amen. Breakthrough ministry. This is the restoration of all the fivefold ministry that God's been doing. In fact, going back further, you know, we had this Catholic type church, and then Luther suddenly realized the just shall live by faith. You can get salvation without paying for it. That was a, a revelation. Then later on, we had the Wesleys telling them how to get sanctified and holy. And then the Anabaptists came and taught about Holy Spirit baptism. Then the turn of 
the sanctuary, we had the Holy Ghost restored. All over the world, there was a baptism of the Holy Spirit starting from Azusa Street, spreading all over the world. I mean, all these things have been re-established and they've been ongoing. They haven't stopped. Unfortunately, a lot of churches have camped around these different moves. They've just stayed there. They've camped around the previous move. Maybe the Baptists have just camped around the Baptists. Maybe the Pentecost have just camped around Pentecost. But it's been ongoing. 48, there's another move, the laying on of hands, revival, the truth of the laying on of hands and praise and worship. These things have been reestablished. And now we've got fivefold ministry, and their job in Ephesians 4.11 is to equip the saints for the work of their ministry. They're going to do the work, but they need equipping. So God sends different ministries into the church to equip you so that you can do the work of the ministry. It's a season of being under tutors and governors. I think it's exciting. This is where we're at. This is where we're at, okay. And it was in the time appointed by the Father. Okay. Now, okay, so the stages of growth. We don't all end up. We're not there yet. We're not all mature sons of God yet. I wish we were. We're on our journey. There's three stages of growth that the Bible talks about. First of all, when you first get saved, you're called a babe, a spiritual babe. It's okay for a spiritual babe to be a babe. Okay, for any baby to be a babe. Just cry out for milk and you feed them and you change their naps and, and you just love on them. But it says in the Bible that a spiritual babe, they just got to be given milk all the time because they're unskillful in the work of righteousness. I can't even really preach this sort of stuff to them. They, they, they choke on it. They just need milk. That God loves you. Come to Jesus and he'll forgive your sins. He said you can't take solid. You can't he said, you're carnal when you're a baby. You're full of envy and strife and divisions. If you're like that, then you're a baby. And he said, um, all the time you've got to tell you that your sins are forgiven and that you know the Father. And that's a baby stage. And some people stay babies. They might be in church 40 years, but they stay babies. However, that's not the call on Bay City. Otherwise, you wouldn't have an apostle in the house. So the apostle gives you a kick and says, time to grow up. <laughs> young man stage. Young man. Technon in the Greek word. 1 John 2, 13 and 14. These are some of the characteristics of the young man stage. You have overcome the wicked one. You're starting to do a little bit of warfare in your life. You've got a few things pushing against you. You've got to overcome. Hey, you're becoming a young man. You're strong. Strong in spirit. Starting to pray in tongues strongly and get a strong spirit and start to exercise the spirit. The word of God abides in you. Okay? So you're starting to exercise spiritual authority. First of all, over yourself. Sometimes we've just got to discipline ourselves. And Pastor David's talking about the last week. Start disciplining yourself. Get up, pray. Don't eat that, it's junk. <laughs> discipline yourself. Exercise some authority over yourself. And then your family. Stand up. It's authorities in your family. Your workplace, shift the atmosphere there. Take authority over stuff that comes into the place that's not good. You've been given authority. You're starting to exercise it. That's what you're destined for, growing it. That's the young man stage. And then the father talks about the different stages. Oh, but another thing in the um, children, you haven't developed your spiritual senses yet. Your spirit senses are still undeveloped. Whereas God's given the senses in the spirit to hear and to see and to discern things in the spirit and that's why you get training in your cell groups how to hear God, how to start to see things in the spirit that's part of 
growing up out of a base, so you start to develop your spiritual senses. But um, the father stage should be really a living expression of God himself. He reflects the father fully in, in character and in authority. So um, these are the stages of growth. I want to look at a few scriptures. My time's gone. Oh, it goes so fast. Romans 8. We've just got to look at Romans 8 anyway. Romans 8, 13 to 19. It says here, For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. Because as many as are led by the Spirit of the sons of God. Jesus daily got a download from his Father what to do. And say, where to live? Led by the Spirit. You didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Now, if you're living under fear, you're probably a really controlling person trying to hold your own world together because you're full of fear. But that God hasn't given you that spirit. You've got to get rid of that. Get delivered. Get healed. Get restored. Go to, go to some Elijah house stuff. Because you've received the spirit of adoption. God wants you to be led by the Spirit and come to maturity. And and when you'll start to cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God. He wants us to be a joint heir with Christ. Joint heir with Christ, doing God kind of stuff together. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified with him. Because I consider the sufferings are not worthy to compare to the glory. Okay, suffering, glory. Suffering, glory. You're going to have both. Suffering. Part of growing up is suffering. You're going to have some suffering. If you're going to walk with God, you're going to endure some stuff. Suffering, glory. You can't compare it. You can't compare the suffering with the glory. It's worth it. It's worth it because it's the only way you're going to come to maturity. Okay, I love that verse. Oh, give me one more verse. I've got to read one more before we finish. Ephesians 1, we'll go back to Ephesians 1. I hate it when these musicians come up. It says, time to go, and I've only just started. Ephesians 1, verse 4 and 5. But just as he chose us in himself before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He wants us to be in his presence, surrounded by his love, knowing we'll be made holy, there's no blame. Predestined to adoption as sons. We're predestined to become mature sons, doing God kind of stuff, according to the good measure of his will. And I just go back down a little bit further on that chapter, verse 13 and 14. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, a lot of people don't understand this. We had this come up in our cell group. The Holy Spirit is like a down payment. You're sealed with it. It's the guarantee of your inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possessions, the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is like a down payment. You buy a house, and that sometimes it's referred to as the, the earnest of your inheritance. It's a funny word, earnest, but it means the down payment means there's more to come. Now, the Holy Spirit baptism is just the down payment. There's more to come. Don't settle. There's more. There's more. There's more. You've just been sealed. It's just a down payment, an indication that there's a lot more to come. Our day of adoption is what the whole creation's groaning for. In fact, it says in um, Romans 8, 19, 
Creation is eagerly waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. I believe it will be a significant event like the other feasts were. I mean, the Feast of Pentecost has actually finally come, the Feast of Tabernacles, the revealing of sons of God that have been matured and gone through process, been under tutors and governors and fivefold ministry and pastors and everybody else that wants to shape your life. And you've done it with submission and you've yielded. And now after suffering, you're finally coming through with authority. And we're going to step into what Jesus stepped into after he had gone through his process. Amen. There's more, there's more, there's more. Oh, there's so much more. Actually, one more thing. Do you think everybody gets into this? Do you think everybody gets into this? That's why I love the parables of the kingdom. Kingdom parables, as I said, have got to do with the kingdom. And I love the parable of the ten wise and the ten foolish. They're all virgins. They're all saved. Virgins means they're saved. They're washed by the blood of the land. They're virgins. But some had oil alive in God, ready to go. Others, the oil had run out. And when the time came for the bridegroom to come, some went on into the things that he had prepared for them, and others missed out. You know, there's a price to pay. There is a price to pay to come into this dimension of authority and dominion with Christ. But it's there for us. And we're in a place now where God will bring churches and governors, if you submit and yield and practice and develop and grow, as a son of God and the ways of the Father, then you'll come a time and it will be revealed. I mean, we see darkness increasing all over the world. I mean, there's stuff increasing everywhere. But God's got an, a hidden agenda. Oh, yeah. He's got his sons being prepared in secret. Oh, yeah. And it might look like it's pretty dark out there. The Antichrist is increasing and everything's increasing. But there'll be a day when God's sons are revealed and they'll look out well. Can you imagine thousands of people doing what Jesus did all over the globe. He's the head and we're the body. Everything under our feet. Wow, what a day. Wow. Oh, give him glory. Give him glory. Give him glory. Give him glory. I'll have to stop. But if you've never actually given your heart to the Lord, you haven't made that first decision, don't go out here today without even giving your heart to Jesus and made a start on the stepping block. Come, anybody here that's never given their heart to Jesus, never responded to the Spirit drawing them to come. And it's a spiritual birth. It's not a natural birth. Man can't do it. Christening as a baby wasn't enough. It's got to be a work of the Spirit in your heart. But don't go out without having made that decision to give your life to Jesus. Otherwise, the rest of you, it's a pathway to maturity. And Pastor Dave touched on a lot of those last week, but I'll just mention a few keys. Be led by the Spirit every day. Listen to the voice of the Father. What is it you've got me to do today? Do the things that God has ordained for you to do. The Bible says repent of dead works, stuff that everybody else wants you to do. Listen to the voice of the Spirit. Submission. Some of us find it hard to actually yield and submit, but it's the process to maturity. Um, and receive the trainers that God has got in your life to help grow you. Receive them because they're going to help you come to maturity. And if you're going to be in the young men's side, start to exercise some authority. Start to pray the word of God over things in your situation. Take authority over demonic forces that are coming into your workplace or into your home. Exercise authority. Start to practice it. And, um, and then hunger. Hunger for the more. 
hunger for more. More of him, less of me. Because there is more. Amen, there is more. Just sing that song, less of me and more of him. You know? Less of me. Yes, Lord. More of you. More of you, Lord. Less of me. More of you, Lord.